This Faith and Finance podcast is underwritten in part by Sound Mind Investing. For more than 30 years, do-it-yourself investors have relied on SMI for proven strategies and trustworthy guidance. SMI helps people build wealth so they can provide for their families, prepare for the future, and give generously. Learn more at soundmindinvesting.org. Want a hot investment tip? Okay, don't tell anyone, but you just need to answer two simple questions, and you're likely on the path to making money. Hi, I'm Rob West. Kidding about hot tips aside, it's true. The answers to two easy-peasy questions will set you on a course for investing success. I'll talk about it first with Mark Biller today, and then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance, biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. Well, Mark Biller joins us again today. He's executive editor at Sound Mind Investing, where he and his team take complicated investing concepts and simplify them so the rest of us can understand them. Mark, great to have you back with us. Thanks, Rob. Good to be back with you. Okay, we said that you just need to answer two questions, Mark, to be a successful investor. So what are the two questions we're talking about? Yeah, Rob, well, no matter what investing strategy you follow, and we have several of them at SMI, the two key questions are how often should I invest and how much should I invest? Hmm. And a simple way to make those decisions is to use a formula approach that eliminates inconsistency and guesswork. Yeah, and uh, of course, that's not just any old formula, but one in particular, right? Yeah, absolutely. So the best known formula for answering these how much and how often questions is something that you guys talk about frequently here on the program, dollar cost averaging. Now, the key to dollar cost averaging is simply investing the same amount of money at regular time intervals. So that simple framework is really easy to follow, and it's essentially what millions of people do every month via their 401k or other workplace retirement plan. So for example, you might choose to invest $800 a month or $400 per pay period. The important thing is to pick an amount that you can stick with faithfully. Yeah, and sticking with it faithfully means you have to do this for a long period of time, five years at the very least, so you have time to ride out an extended bear market, let's say. Uh, But 40 years, of course, would be a lot better, right? (laughs) Yeah, 40 years would be fantastic. (laughs) You know, the beauty of dollar-cost averaging is it frees you from worrying about, is this a good time or is this a a bad time to be buying stocks? Because you're keeping your dollar amount the same, you're going to end up getting more shares for your money when stock prices fall and you're buying fewer shares when prices rise. So in effect, you'll buy more shares at bargain prices and fewer at what will eventually turn out to be high prices. Of course, you won't know that at the time. It's only obvious when stocks are on sale when you look back in hindsight. Yeah, of course. And since the market started going south and sideways a couple of years ago, uh, as you know, folks regularly call in and ask if they should get out of the market, go to cash or stop investing altogether. So, Mark, what's your advice to them, assuming they have a long investment time horizon? 
Yeah, that's a great question, Rob, and it's one that I'm going to answer with just a little bit of nuance. So the full disclosure here is that SMI is one of the increasingly rare firms that still takes defensive measures and shifts some money to cash when we think the risk of a particularly bad bear market is high enough. So we did that early last year, and it helped us, although now we've been lagging a little this year as the markets bounced back. And obviously, we wouldn't take those steps if we didn't think it was worthwhile over the long term. But here's the nuance. If you're trying to do this on your own, you absolutely shouldn't be moving in and out of the market. And that's doubly true if you're doing this on your own and you have that long time horizon of 10 years or more. It's just way too hard to get all these signals correct. You know, we've studied this for years. We watch it like a hawk all day, every day, and it's still not 100% clear that we'll come out ahead for all that extra effort. Yeah. You know, there's a reason that there are millions of retirees and near retirees with large 401k balances, despite them not really knowing much of anything about investing. And it's because they invested regularly every pay period and let those 401k balances compound year after year through good markets and bad. Yeah, that's really helpful. Well, when we come back from this break, we're going to continue to talk about dollar cost averaging, how it can help you avoid the emotional pitfalls of investing. Also, what do critics have to say about dollar cost averaging? We'll talk with Mark Biller today, executive editor at Sound Mind Investing, about this topic, dollar cost averaging, just around the corner. And then, of course, your questions to follow, 800-525-7000. We'll be right back. God has entrusted his finances to you. And we at FaithFi have designed our FaithFi app to help you live, give, owe, and grow with that perspective. Our FaithFi app is the leading biblically-based finance app. You can manage your money, get top biblical financial resources, and interact with a community of like-minded believers, where you can ask questions, get answers, and share what you're learning. Go to faithfi.com and click the word app to get started. What's most important to you when it comes to choosing your financial advisor? Someone who's aligned with your biblical values? How about someone who will take the time to explain your options? Certified Kingdom Advisors are professionals who meet high standards in competence and integrity and have been trained to offer biblical financial advice. To find a Certified Kingdom Advisor in your area, visit faithfi.com and click Find a CKA. Delighted to have you with us today on Faith and Finance. I'm talking today with my good friend, Mark Biller, executive editor at Sound Mind Investing. And we're talking today about the beauty and simplicity of something called dollar cost averaging, how you will benefit yourself by investing the same amount at regular time intervals as you move into the market. And Mark, uh, we were talking about uh, just the benefits of dollar cost averaging before the break. One of those, of course, is to help avoid emotional investing, which can be a real problem area for investors, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, without a mechanical system to guide your buying like this, you know, most investors really only work up the courage to invest after stock prices have risen sharply. And then after prices inevitably plunge, they get fearful and they sell after they're already down. 
So in other words, investor emotions typically cause them to buy high and then sell low, which is the exact opposite of what you want to do. Dollar cost averaging is going to help steer you around those pitfalls as long as you stick with it and keep following the discipline regardless of what the market's doing at the time. Yeah, that makes sense. But as much as we like dollar cost averaging, Mark, it's not without its critics and cautions, right? Yeah, it's true. And, you know, the biggest criticism of dollar cost averaging is it doesn't protect you against losses. You're still going to suffer temporary setbacks from bear markets. And that's why this criticism takes on more importance as a person gets closer to retirement age and has more to lose. Yeah, that's a big part of why I said earlier that for those with a long investing time horizon measured in decades, this type of set it and forget it system is pretty hard to beat. But that calculus does change a bit, at least in our opinion, as a person gets older and has more to lose. And that's why SMI does some other things in terms of bear market protection. Now, second criticism of dollar cost averaging relates specifically to a person who has a lump sum of money to invest. In that case, most of the research and the math typically shows that investing it all at once right away instead of dollar cost averaging it into the market over time is the better approach. But there are two really important things to understand about that situation. First of all, most people don't have a lump sum. They're investing yeah. bit by bit. So this criticism doesn't even apply to like the typical 401k investor. And second, even though the math says it's better to put all the money in right away, I can tell you firsthand, and you probably can confirm this too, Rob, that after working with thousands of investors over time, emotionally, it's just way easier for people to divide up a lump sum and invest it in pieces over time. So if it comes down to, say, dividing a lump sum into pieces and investing one-sixth of that each month over the next six months versus a person being locked up in fear and not investing any of it over the six months, you know, that dollar cost averaging approach is going to be the hands down winner. So in the real world, investing smaller amounts over time just makes it so much easier for investors to overcome their fears and just continue to put their money into the market, even when the market is temporarily weak. Um, now, that said, I still think it's good for people to know that the research shows it's better to get the money in sooner than later so that you can work toward doing that as quickly as possible. Yeah, that's really interesting. So let me just make sure I'm clear. So somebody sells a house, they're sitting on 200000 They don't plan to redeploy that. They want to move it all into the market with the right long time horizon. If they could overcome the emotional fears, it would be better based on the research to drop that entire 200000 into the market the next day as opposed to trying to put it in one-sixth over the next six months. Yeah, that's what the research says, Rob, and that's just primarily based on the fact that the market tends to move higher over time. Yeah. So if you run that scenario a lot of times over different time periods, more often than not, the market is rising and you get more benefit from getting the money in sooner. Now, of course, yeah. there are going to be people who will say, you know, there are obviously better times than others to invest. Um, and so that's kind of where that 
that would come into a little bit of debate at that yeah. point. Sure. Yeah, well, just the data approach says go ahead and get it in. That's helpful. All right. right. So, Mark, explain to us uh, why someone who is dollar cost averaging and doing it for a long period of time doesn't need to be afraid of bear markets and actually might even look forward to having one every once in a while. Yeah, that's a wild thought, right? You know, the the idea here, Rob, is that if you're contributing the same amount each pay period and you run into a bear market, you're going to be getting more shares at those temporarily bargain prices. Then when the market recovers, you'll own more shares that are now increasing in value. And really the way I would frame it up for people is this idea just allows you to think about buying stock or mutual fund stock shares on sale the yes. same way that people like buying other things on sale. You, you just get more shares for each dollar that you're spending when the market is in a bear market and is temporarily down. Yeah, who wants to buy at the top all the time? I like it. All right, Mark, sum this up for us. What are all the reasons then to like dollar cost averaging? Okay, so here's the quick summary. So dollar cost averaging is simply systematically investing a fixed amount of money regularly. Because of that, it has these benefits. One, it eliminates the is now a good time to buy question. If your dollar cost averaging every month or every pay period is a good time to invest. Second, it's going to impose a discipline. It's a forced saving structure that you can think of as making installment payments on your future financial security. Third, dollar cost averaging is going to help you buy more fund shares when prices are low and fewer when prices are high. So your average price that you're paying over time is likely to be lower than using other methods of buying. And then last, it automates your investing, which helps eliminate the chance that you're going to forget to make your investment or worse, be scared out of doing it by current events and news. And like we mentioned, Rob, you know, dollar cost averaging is tailor-made for 401ks, 403bs, even IRAs. In all three of those cases, you can automate those contributions, and you really ought to look into doing that to make this work the most effectively. You know, bringing this back around to, to where we always try to focus, it's really just a great illustration of Proverbs 21.5, which, of course, says, steady plotting brings prosperity. Mm, yeah, that's so good. And Mark, I can't help but think, in addition to the 401k example, this is a great opportunity for a parent that wants to systematically invest to have a nest egg for their kids using this approach, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's great for 529 plans and, and those types of college programs. Yeah, great point. Yeah, making your investing or saving automated is always a good thing. Well, Mark, I couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks for stopping by and sharing this great information. Always my pleasure, Rob. That's Mark Biller, Executive Editor at Sound Mind Investing. If you'd like to read more on this topic, go to soundmindinvesting.org and look for the article, Taking the Guesswork Out of When and How Much to Invest. We'll also put a link to it in today's show notes. But again, that website, soundmindinvesting.org. Back with your questions just around the corner. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
We are grateful for support from Sound Mind Investing in the Faith and Finance Program. For more than 30 years, they've been helping Christians reach their financial goals with step-by-step guidance for investors at every stage, from those just getting started to those getting ready for retirement. Through scriptural principles and practical suggestions, SMI offers financial wisdom for living well. More information, including the short video webinar on profit and peace of mind, no matter what's happening in the market, is available at soundmindinvesting.org. As the leading advocate for the Christian financial industry, Kingdom Advisors serves the public by promoting the integration of a biblical worldview across every aspect of the financial services industry. And we serve a growing network of thousands of Christian financial professionals, equipping and empowering them to carry biblical financial wisdom to their clients, peers, and community. For more information, visit KingdomAdvisors.com. That's KingdomAdvisors.com. We're back. I'm Rob West, and this is Faith and Finance. Thanks for listening today. Thanks for taking the time. As we head into our calls and questions, I want to take a moment to ask you if you've downloaded the FaithFi app. You can use it on your desktop or your mobile device. All right, let's head to the phones. By the way, if you have a question, just call 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. All right, back to the phones to round out the broadcast today. We'll head to Des Moines. Hey, Diane, thanks for calling. Go ahead. Hi, Rob. Uh, Thank you for sharing your knowledge with the rest of us who aren't so financially uh, capable. My question today is regarding banks that send out credit cards that they give you a bonus if you spend so much in a certain period of time, if that's a good idea to have an extra card that you may or may not need or use except to get the bonus money back. What's your opinion about that? You know, I'm not a big fan of that just because I don't like the idea of really having more than one credit card open unless you need it. I just don't think there's a need for it. Number one, it gives you temptation to spend money you don't have because that credit card's sitting there unused. Number two, it it gives you the ability to uh, have one more account potentially compromised. So you've got to stay on top of it and continue to check it, even if you're not using it. Um, and so I think for that reason, you know, taking advantage of these offers while they're nice and you may want to consider them when you're legitimately looking to make a change to open a new card, we can get kind of in this game of chasing the latest, you know, deals and rewards. And we end up with this plethora uh, of credit cards that, uh, for the reasons I mentioned, I just think that's kind counterproductive, not uh, the least of which is every time you open one of those cards, you're going to have a ding on your credit. Although it's temporary and it'll come back, I think I would just be careful of opening a card purely for that purpose. I think it's better to find the card that's the right fit for you. I love rewards, so you ought to find a card that gives you a great cash reward, or if you're a traveler, that gives you great travel rewards, as long as there's no annual fee, and as long as that's the card you're going to use, and when you use it, you're only using it for budgeted items, and then you're paying it off every month at the end of the month. If that's the way you're doing it, then I can certainly get on board, but continuing to open additional accounts for these kind of one-time incentives, I think, ultimately is counterproductive. Okay, so if you do, if you actually do pay it off every month and you don't use it for living expenses that are over and beyond what you already have the money set aside for, you would say it's okay, or no, don't even bother. It's not worth the extra the extra compromise or chance of compromise to your credit. 
Yeah, I, I guess I just wonder where it stops. I mean, what about next month when another incentive comes in and then the month after that, and then all of a sudden you've got four or five accounts open and, you know, you've got to keep up with them all and not to mention that that's all just kind of sitting there waiting for you to access it. So I would just say, let's keep it simple. Uh, let's pick one card and stick with it. If you're going to make a change, make a change. But I wouldn't be opening accounts purely for that financial incentive uh, for the reasons that I mentioned. I hope that's helpful to you, Diane. Thanks for your kind remarks about the program as well. I really appreciate it. Uh, to West Palm Beach, Florida. Hey, Mike, go ahead, sir. Hey, real quick, Rob. Um, I appreciate you taking my call. Um, I'm wondering about putting money in into savings into um, one of these banks. There's a lot of these banks that I'm not familiar with, but their interest rates uh, seem much higher. Um, so I'm wondering how, how safe are those small banks versus the big the big ones that you know everyone knows that are nationwide. Yeah, uh, I'm okay if it's not a household name. I would check it out at bankrate.com just to see. They have a rating service. They'll give you a rating. The most important thing you're going to want to be looking for, Mike, is that it's FDIC insured. That's going to ensure that even if that bank were to fail, that your money is protected and going to remain accessible. So as long as you've got the FDIC insurance, uh, that's the key. If it's a um, if it's a credit union, make sure that they have NCUA insurance, which is basically equivalent to the FDIC see just for credit unions. Uh, it's less important to me that it's a smaller or lesser known bank. But again, bankrate.com would allow you to see based on a five-star rating system, how they rank for not only the competitiveness of their rates, but customer service and a few other factors. It'd probably be worth checking that out because if the online reviews say the customer service is terrible or you know folks have had problems uh, just kind of getting things done or getting them to be responsive, uh, then I I'd probably heed those warnings. But apart from that, if you've got the FDIC or NCUA insurance, that's the main thing. All right? Yes, sir. Thank you, Rob. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Mike. Thanks for your call. Uh, quickly to Indiana. Hey, Jessa, go right ahead. Hey. Um, so I've got a larger medical bill, um, but I just found out I can get a 30% discount if I pay it off in full. Um, so I do have the money liquid in my savings to pay it. I just don't want to get stuck um, next year if I have another large medical bill when my deductible starts over without any extra funds. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about it. So what would the debt be if you were to pay it off in full and get that deduct that reduction? Um, it would be about a $2,000 discount. So it would be like 5300 that I need to pay. All right. And what do you have in liquid savings? Um, roughly 13000 all right. And what are your monthly expenses total, roughly? Um, bare necessity, I'd say about 4000 Okay. Let's say it's five. Um, so okay. you've got a couple of months worth of expenses in the bank right now. Uh, and if you were to knock this off, you'd probably go down to about one month's expenses. If this was paid off, how much surplus would you have every month to add to your emergency savings to try to build it back up? Um, if I aggressively saved, I could have it paid back by like July of next year. So, okay. you know, like three, $400 a month. Yeah. And any, I mean, do you see anything on the horizon that could cause you to need to tap into that? I mean, do you have a job situation that's a little shaky or do you have any kind of, you know, major expenses coming up, things like that? No, not that I can see other than um, possibly another large medical bill for my okay. husband. Okay. Got it. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I mean that, that couple of thousand dollars, that's real. And so if you all can get that knocked out and you've still got at least one, maybe two months worth of, of uh, emergency reserves and you can have it replenished uh, over the next year, I'd say go for it. Next time around, you may not do it because you may not have the money. But at least this time, I think taking advantage of that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for your call, Jessa. We appreciate it. The quick email from J.A., Uh, J.A. writes, I'm an avid listener to your program. I've had a Roth IRA for almost 10 years. Is there a way to roll it to fund a new SEP IRA? Um, And bottom line, uh, J.A., is there is no minimum required income to qualify uh, for a Roth. Um, Unfortunately, a Roth, though, or any retirement account that's funded with after-tax money cannot be uh, rolled into a SEP IRA. Any pre-tax retirement account can be rolled into a SEP IRA, but a Roth is after-tax money, so that would not be able to be rolled over. So we appreciate you uh, checking with us. If you have a question you'd like read on the air, you can send it along. Ask Rob at faithfi.com. Well, that does it for us today. I'm Rob West. Thanks to our amazing production team and to you for listening. I hope you'll join us again next time right here on Faith and Finance. Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you. 